0: Right. I'm Andrew Elder, serve in uh, RC's host uh, group and also help with the men's Bible study on Saturday mornings. Um, today we're in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's a blue Bible on the ground. If it's not underneath your chair, look at the chair next to you. If you don't have a Bible, we want you to take that with you. Make that your Bible. So that blue Bible... If that's what you're going to be reading from, we're on page 572. Again, that's Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is God's word. You may be seated.
1: Thank you, Andrew almost called you Chandler. You are definitely not Chandler Cruz, you're Andrew Elder. My name's Josh. How are you doing? I sense an energy, lull. I'm going to get charismatic in here. I get to preach this wonderful passage, short, sweet. I feel like we've had a lot of long passages. This is sort of just pithy to the point, but it's talking about the most profound thing we can talk about. How do we use our mental energy? We all have a thousand thoughts a day, positive, negative. Paul is going to tell us, here's how the Christian should think About life. So this book of Colossians, those of you who are just joining us, so we as a church believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. So we usually open up a book and walk through it until we finish it. So we've got a few more weeks in Colossians uh, to unpack what the Apostle Paul was originally telling this church at Colossae, a town in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And by the Spirit, now it's being applied to us as a church here in North uh, Phoenix today, even in this moment. So I want to start with a quote that I've heard a million times. When you're a preacher, you kind of hear the cycle through People generally use about the top five. C.S. Lewis is a few. I don't know who said this originally, so some great thinker at some point said this. Some people are so heavenly-minded that they are of no earthly good. So when I became a Christian at the end of high school, uh, I started going to church, and I've heard this a lot. Some people, there's this group of Christians that are so focused on heaven that they have sort of rendered themselves worthless, useless, pointless for the earthly life they're actually to be living right here now. And I always thought, that's a great, that'll preach, that's a great. Here's the problem with that is I've yet to meet a person from that camp of Christianity. We're like, Kyle, Knock it off with the heaven stuff. Seriously, I'm pointing at you, Kyle. You think about God too much. You think about heaven too much. You think about these things above too much. Your life here on earth has become worthless. Knock it off with the heaven stuff. Like, I have yet to meet the person who fits that quote. I mostly meet people some shade of what I am. Like, I think about heaven occasionally, especially when pain comes up. But mostly I'm kind of like this. I got blinders on and I am focused on the here and the now, always. That is the problem of humanity. And more and more we live in a world where it's easier to think about the things of earth than to think about the things of heaven. Like we live in this what we call secular age. All that means is transcendent things, things of God, things of eternity, things that matter, things that last are sort of pushed out of our reign of sight. And now we're all focused on the here And now, so that there is not a Christian that I've met that is so heavenly focused that they've become worthless to the things of earth. C.S. Lewis says this, the opposite of this quote. If you read in history, here's what you're going to find. The Christians who did the most for the present world, the world they live in, were the most heavenly minded people. And the problem is we just don't live in a world that fosters that, cultivates that. And it's not an age thing. It's not like young people suck at this and older people have really nailed this. We all are not good at this. We all think about the things of earth way too much. So the Apostle Paul is going to write this letter and tell us, hey, here's how you should think. And specifically, just so you, we got note takers. My wife's a note taker. She's in the room. Here's how we're going to walk through this passage. So verse 1 and 2 go together. And just so you see, verse 1 there, it says, if then, that could also be translated, since you have been, So the first section is, since you're a Christian, here's how you should think. And then go down to verse 3. It says, for you have died. It could also be translated, because you have died. Since you're a Christian, think like this. Verse 3, because you're a Christian, remember this. So that's what we're going to look at as we walk through this passage. Is this, since you're a Christian, seek these things. And because you're a Christian, remember about where you've been hidden. So here's my big idea, and it'll make sense as we walk through it. We all seek And we all hide. My kids love hide-and-seek. Ozzy's the cutest. Let's play hide-and-seek. And And then you have to talk the whole time so he can find you. And he's like, yeah, that's how you play. That's not how you play. But we all seek and we all hide. Like not the game of hide-and-seek. Existentially, we're all seeking stuff. All hiding from stuff. That's human nature. That's what makes us different than rhinoceroses and all the animal kingdom, is we have these seekings, these longings for things beyond us, and we're all hiding, kind of tucked in, shame-filled people to a large degree. We all do it, but here's the thing. Christians have a much better way to go about it. And like I said, here's the two questions we're going to walk through as we unpack this text. What are you seeking, you, and what are you, where are you hiding currently? So here's what can be true. If the Spirit moves and you sort of open yourself up to actually be hit by the Spirit in the truth of God, in His Word, is this going to be a very vulnerable moment because those are sort of basic questions, but they get at the heart of who you are. So I want to pray and ask the Spirit to be with us in this moment. So let's bow our heads and pray. Jesus, it says, You are the light of the world, so I pray that you would shine a light on us as your people. I pray that the text here that Paul gave would shine light on the dark spots of our life, the areas that we try to not focus on, we try to forget, we try to push aside, and that your Holy Spirit would come towards us, not in judgment, but in love and grace and truth and offering a better way. God, all of us want a better life, want a full life, and all of us are being duped in a variety of ways. So we ask your Spirit to come and meet us and move amongst us this morning it's in jesus name we pray amen amen so here's the first question like i said what are you seeking now here if we were like a really open and vulnerable and honest church we could go around and like what are you ultimately seeking it's like what do you you mean by that jesus would ask people this and it's interesting because he'd like meet with people not necessarily like christian people or jesus followers or godly people just people and one of the main questions he started with was this question what do you want Like in this room, we got single people. He'd say, what do you want? We got married people. What do you want? We got divorced people. What do you want? We've got kids with very rough home lives. What do you want? It was sort of Jesus' way to not like just trump everyone with the God God card. And I know all things. I don't need to listen. It's like what bad parents do. They don't ever draw out what's inside of a kid. Jesus would walk around and say, hey, what do you want? Blind man, the most obvious thing in the world What he wants. And Jesus said, hey, what do you want? As a way to give him dignity and say, I want to see. I'd like to not be so different than everyone else. I'd like the gift that everyone else has of vision. What do you want? Like if I just gave enough awkward space, like does something come? Like what are you seeking? What is it that you want right now? Like we come to church because we think there's more to life. We think there's a God who could actually provide more to life. What is it you want? Jesus says, what do you want? Now, whenever I want to answer big questions in life, I go to a few key thinkers in the world. One of them is Taylor Swift, and she's always spot on with her uh, stuff. I've been listening to her old stuff, and she is she's still the greatest. But she just spoke at NYU graduation. She's a getting an honorary doctorate. Good for you, Taylor. But she said this comment that I think summarizes what's wrong with the world we live in and trying to answer the question of what do you want because the world has presented us with not great options here's what taylor swift told this graduating class so a bunch of picture a thousand twenty two year olds ready to take over life and conquer life taylor swift says this i know it can be really overwhelming figuring out who to be and when the ultimate question of college and sort of life figuring out who you are now and how to act in order to get where you want to go taylor says i have some good news It's totally up to you. And she says, I also have some terrifying news. It's totally up to you. What's her point? Here's how our world, our cultural moment, which is different than other cultural moments, has defined and set up the the game pieces for us to play. What do you want? What are you seeking? It's completely on you. You are a blank canvas. Do whatever you want. Be whatever you want. Say whatever you want. As long as it feels good to you. What I'd ask, which version of me, like the 17-year-old idiot version of me or the 39-year-old version of me that's still mostly, which version of me gets to answer the question? And that's why Taylor Swift says it's so encouraging that you can be whatever you want. And just so you know, at the same time, it's terrifying to think that I've got to figure out what life is all about. That is a terrifying reality. And some of you like younger people like, live with this angst. Part of it's that, like, I'm not capable of making such a big decision. That's why the Apostle Paul is going to say, hey, church, it's not up to you. There's not a blank slate. You're not the one choosing the colors, creating the colors. The colors have been picked. The canvas has been painted. It's your job to look up to the canvas that God is painting and dwell in the reality that God has given you. So the Apostle Paul is going to tell us, hey, what should we do with our thoughts? If Taylor Swift, again, I lo- no bigger Taylor Swift fan in, in this room than me. Don't email me. But her reality of like, just Just be whatever. It's killing people. Like it's literally destroying people, because you've cut, this, cut the, the, the ability for God to speak down into the reality off of people, and now everyone has this blank slate, and everyone's walking around like trying to figure out, what do I do with my life? What am I here for? And it mostly impacts younger people, but it's just generally the water we swim in. And Paul's going to be like, "I've got a better way. Here's what I would tell you, church. So chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, let's see what he says to the church. If you have been raised with Christ, pause right there, I won't pause a lot, but if you've been raised with Christ, since you've been raised with Christ, translation, if you are a Christian, this is how you should think. Not if you're a human, here's how you need to think to get closer to God. But if God has acted in your life, and his grace has gone towards you, and he's grabbed you, and you are now his by faith, you are a Christian. So Christians in this room, Paul's talking to you, he's talking to me. If you've been raised with Christ, here's how we should think about this world. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. And then verse 2, he basically says a similar thing with slightly different language. Verse 2, set your minds on the things that are above not on things that are on the earth pause right there if you're a christian part of your life a big part of your life should be being heavenly minded like as i think about that quote i'd like to be accused of being the guy who thinks about heaven too much who talks about god too much who dwells on god too much i'm not currently that guy I don't know if you're the one that's, like, figured this out, but Paul's saying all of us need to be reminded to set our things, our mind on things that are above. Seek the things that are above. Notice the comparison. Things that are above, not the things that are below. What's he taught? Is it like, think about angels and think about those things. No, he's saying think about the things that are of God, even as you walk this world. Seek the things that are of God. Now, specifically, what do those words mean? He gives us two verbs. Seek the things... And set your mind on the things that are above. So if you're a Christian, Paul would very simply say, you need to seek and you need to set your mind. Those translated seek is search out. You need to have a lifetime, life of searching out the things of God. Not passively receiving it on the couch with your bag of Doritos. Searching out the things of God. And I love what the, the, the next verb is. Set your minds on things that are above. The best translation for that is have an opinion on. So notice what Paul tells the Christians. Hey, Christian, if you've been raised with Christ, if your faith is in Jesus, search out and form strong opinions about the things of God. That's what you should be doing. Like, that's way more easy to understand. Because, like, I got opinions. I got strong opinions. And I'm getting to that age where, like, there's... There's a point of no return in middle age where you just become your dad, like that guy with all those opinions. Like, how did this happen? I did not see this happening, but it's, it's arrived in my life. I was out to dinner with this group of friends. We're having tacos, drinks. It's amazing. And then one guy gets the mic, and he goes on about the water shortage in Arizona, and he riffs for like 25 minutes. Like, it's, he works for this water company, helping farmers get water, and I'm just kind of sitting there, and I have like an out-of-body experience. I'm like... This is what I used to watch my dad do with his buddies. They would just take the mic and complain about stuff they had strong opinions on. And I'm my dad right now. Like, this has happened. I have a strong opinion about stuff. Paul is saying this. Have strong opinions about things that actually matter. You ask me about school choice. You ask me about trees. You ask me about sword scenes. I've got lots of opinions. Paul is saying, but if someone comes to you and asks you about the things that are above, what do you have to give? that you've developed in your searching and coming to strong opinions about. Search out. Have strong opinions. Because here's the thing. When you say set your mind on things above, seek the things that are above, like I've been in a lot of church settings where you can hear these things and you leave unaffected because it just sounds like I don't even know what that means. That's so like up in the air. But Paul's saying this. Use your time, use your energy, use your money. Use your downtime, use your vacation time, use your time with friends to search out the things of God and start to form strong opinions about the things that are above. That's what we're supposed to be doing. No matter what age, no matter what stage of life, seek out the things of God. And then what do we do as we seek out the things of God? How do we develop sort of strong conviction about the things of God? I don't want to get too practical because it's like kills the mystery of it, but I think it's helpful to have some basic steps. So here's what I have here. How do we start to set our mind on things above? Like, Josh, give me some. What do I do? Like I walked in here, somebody invited me. I don't know anything about Jesus, but I'm trying to figure this out. How do you set your mind on things above? So most of it's in this text, but before we get there, here's the first thing I think we all need to remember is this. Be honest with what you're actually seeking. It's the Jesus question. What do you want? So I've got a counselor. Lots of people are in counseling. It's very helpful in a lot of ways, but here's what I've found with counselors. They have all this education, all this training, and so much of what they bring into the room and present to me is very like basic, just drawing out what's inside me. Like, Josh, what do you want? How are you feeling? Why are you feeling that way? Like, We're all just humans. We're all the same six-year-old kid we once were, just with more stuff and more baggage and more life. But we still just have this heart and gut and desire to have a full life. So before you get into, like, trying to get to the things above, I tell you, just be honest with what you're actually seeking. So very practically, God, I'm tired of being lonely. I'm just sick of it. Because here's the reality. God knows everything going on, and it does us no, no good deeds as a church to present ourselves as something other than we are. Now, I get we don't need to just camp out on just be authentic people and spew all over in every environment. That's not what I'm saying. But we need to develop the habit of being honest, especially with God. God, here's what I want. I just, I'm tired. I'm sick of this. I can't believe you let that person do that. Start with your honest stance before God. And here's the next thing I tell you to do good. It's not in the text, but it's implied. Change your posture and your vantage point. Because Paul says, seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above, which means we're trying to put our mental thoughts towards something that is above where we're currently at. So here's what I would tell you is your body, the way you posture yourself, matters in when you worship God. So for me, practically, here's what it looks like. When I'm like weeks, months of just kind of in a lull, just kind of going through, going through the grind, doing my thing, trying to be a good husband, trying to be a good dad. Da, 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 da. And like there's times where I pause and I'm like, I have not looked up to the sky in three months. So I'll just stop and just sort of get myself out of the reality of the things that are below and remind myself that there's something above all this. And I don't mean just the stars. I mean there is a transcendent God who is in control, who is all good, all loving, all joyful. And he's there for me in the moment of the mundane life that I'm walking through. So change your posture. Prayer, oftentimes you're supposed to be on our knees. Why do we do that? To like get religious points? No, it's to change your posture. Be like, uh, there's someone else in control of this world and it's not me. So I'm going to bow down and lift my eyes up to him. Chandler, when he does our benediction, asks us to lift out our hands. Why? As a posture, to receive from God. So change your posture. Um, Where am I at here? Here's the next thing. Seek out some strong opinions about a few things that Paul brings up in these texts. So how is like, if I had a jar of how full your opinion tank is on these things, here's the things Paul tells us to have strong opinions about I'm going to read them all, and then we're going to walk through them one by one. But verse 1, remember, he says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then verse 2, he basically says the same thing in a more simple language. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So we need to come up with strong opinions about these things. Here's the first thing. Things that are above. What does that mean? Here's often what I do, especially in suffering, is I'm in some sort of suffering, and I look ahead to heaven one day where all things are going to be better than it is right now. That's not what Paul says. He says, if you're in a hard spot, think about the day when this hard spot's gone. Paul says, wherever you're at, right now in this moment, seek the things that are above. What's God doing right now? What's heaven like right now? As you whatever, like I think about my kids all the time and just school is rough. I mean, just picture like 30, 13 year olds in the same room. And then you multiply that and you get all these classrooms of 13 year olds. And then you gotta walk into that every day. And you gotta hear the opinions of a bunch of 13 year olds about what they think you're like, what they think you nah, 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 nah. What's my prayer for my kids? That they would say, Oh, but one day heaven All these 13-year-olds are not going to be there. They're going to be in hell, and I'm going to be in heaven with Jesus. (laughs) Maybe, and there would be justice in that prayer. Right now, in this moment where I am not seen, I'm not understood, nobody really gets me, lift up. God, how do you see this moment? How do you see me? Like, who am I to you right now? And God speaks to you the things that are above as you set your mind on the things that are above. But beyond that, we're not just a bunch of narcissists who want life about us. Also, God, what do you think about this? Like that kid becomes something more than just a bully. It's like, I wonder what's going on in his life. Seek the things that are above where God is. Right now in this moment. Now, I also think part of that, seeking the things that are above, is getting a picture of what the home of God is like. In other words, heaven. What is heaven going to be like? And as I've been praying this message, I've thought, there's probably nothing else in the world that is more uh, misquoted, mistaught, just screwed up than the idea of heaven. Like I googled, what are the best books on heaven? And it said, top eight books if you want to understand heaven. And six of them were garbage. Like, I'd fight the author if he ever came to this church and tried to get on this stage. Like, you just spewed nonsense. Why? Because everyone knows we're going to die. Everyone. That's not like a Christian fact. That's a fact fact. And everyone's like, what's on the other side? And we all have longings and hopes. So we start to paint it in with the picture of what we hope it to be. And in general, here's sort of the camps of people I hear talking about heaven. You get the idea of, I get to be with lost loved ones. And I love that because I have loved ones I've lost. I don't have any grandparents left. And I miss my grandma so much. But if heaven is just like a family reunion, that's going to fall short of being big enough to capture your imagination and your hopes and your dreams. The other thing I think we swing into is sort of, and Paul got it in the prior passage, is the idea of angels. Like I hear this a lot. I do a lot of funerals. It's not always for Christians. It's for anybody. first funeral I ever did was for a 19-year-old girl who OD'd all these young people in this room, and they all came up to me afterwards with just sad, non-true stuff about heaven. Well, I know she's an angel now. It's like nowhere in any part of the Bible does it ever say we transform or morph into angels, and that's what makes heaven great. There's angels now, and there's angels in heaven, but we don't, that's not what heaven is. I don't get wings, and I, heaven is where God is. What's it like? So like if you had to like, be the teacher, the lecturer, the facilitator of somebody's knowledge of heaven, how prepared are you right now to tell people about heaven? If you're a parent, you don't have anyone to pass it off to. That job's on you. If you're a Christian surrounded by non-Christians, it's your job to pass off this knowledge of what heaven's like. Even as we have sort of limited knowledge of what it's actually like but I want to give you a little I thought if I had to teach a class on heaven here's what I would do so just quickly especially you note takers here's how you get a better picture of heaven and it's not that complicated I would tell you this open up your Bible and you would be like I get it read the Bible I'm not going to say read the Bible but Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 read it and then flip over and read Revelation 21 and 22 and then flip back and read Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and then flip back and read Revelation 21 and 22 And then flip back and read. You get it. Why? Because Genesis 1 and 2 is the garden where God walked with man. Revelation 21, 22 is where God comes down to be with his people once and for all. No longer just a garden. There's a garden in the center of this wonderful city that we get to live in forever with God. Nothing in this world is pointing us towards the things of God. But Genesis and Revelation, I read those over and over and over and over and over again. And those of you that are artistic, draw about it and color about it and write poetry about it. That's how we build our minds and our hearts towards Jesus. So read those things over and over again. Here's the next thing. The only book on heaven I would tell you to read is a book called Heaven. Simple, I like simple authors. What are you going to write about? Heaven. Randy Alcorn. It's like this thick, though. But I became a Christian at 18 out of a Catholic background. I read Heaven at about 24. In 24 years old is when the first time I actually longed to be dead and to be in heaven. And the only thing that changes, I read this book, unpacking the reality of, oh, it's not just goofy, fat angels and my aunt who passed away. It's like God really is got a plan, and he's working all things together, and heaven's going to come down to earth, and it's going to be amazing. And he walks through like his questions like, will there be coffee? Can I eat fish? Will I eat meat? As simple as that, too. Like, what is the ultimate plan of reality? Read the book, Heaven, especially over the summer. Spend some time thinking about these things. Here's the other thing I do. And this sort of practice, it's sort of, I call it sanctified imagination. So years ago, I used to take the city bus to work, And I remember one time just looking at the bus stop, and these two people are sitting on the bench, and they weren't talking to each other, they weren't smiling, they weren't fighting, they weren't, like, I had no idea, but it was just like, and I just had a sadness in me, like, that's sad. Like, two humans could not be sitting more close together and, like, so far apart, and I just thought, that's sort of the world we live in. Like, yeah, there might not be war, and it's not Russia, Ukraine right now, and it's not, you know people being murdered in Buffalo for the color of their skin. But it's like a picture of like, we're not as connected as we could be. And I took it as heaven has not come to this moment yet. So I have all these day, moments throughout the day and don't, I'm not holier than thou. doesn't happen a lot. But when I stop and I think I look at something, especially I still look at bus stops and I look at who's sitting there or who's sleeping there and I think, what would it look like for heaven to touch earth right there, right in this moment? It's my way to sort of Seek the things that are above, even as I'm down here on earth like everyone else. Here's the fourth thing. This is only applies to a select few of you. Um, those of you that are married and get to enjoy sex in marriage, here's what I would tell you. No other gift uh, that the Bible gives us, I, th- I think it's a temporary gift to be enjoyed between husband and wife, but it's also like packed with all this imagery of like this is what ultimate reality is is two things coming together, nothing blocking them, everything exposed, complete vulnerability, open, honest, and they get to come together and enjoy each other. And it's pleasurable, and it's joyful, and it's good. Why did God give us sex? It is not just so we could procreate. That's part of it. He gave it as a picture of what heaven is going to be like, ultimately, when heaven and earth totally exposed, totally vulnerable, come together once and for all and we get to enjoy intimacy like we've never had except for possibly the closest thing we've ever had is good, joyful, marital sex. So those of you that have that, make it a habit of thanking God. Thank your spouse, but thank God for the gift that points towards something better, the gift of heaven, the things above. So think about these things. More than that, we also want to see Christ himself. So here's the next thing. That's how we start to think and build our imagination towards heaven and the home of God, but also where Christ is, I would say, where the face of God is. Where does Paul say that right there? Uh, Verse one, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Here's like the number one problem with everyone's version of heaven that don't go to scriptures to get it, is there's no Jesus there. It's like good food, good parties, Loved ones that I liked are there. Lots of money, no health issues. Jesus is almost never mentioned. And Paul says, Seek the things that are above, and he clarifies specifically where Christ himself is. So, part of our contemplation and building an imagination for the things to come is thinking specifically about the person of Jesus, where Christ is. What is Jesus like? What is the face of Jesus like? If he was to walk in that back door, what's his disposition? This is discipleship. It's like I've been pastoring now 12 years, and everyone sort of feels mild to extreme forms of disappointment they have given towards God. Like how, do you, how, does God, how does God feel about you right now? And it's all like he's probably not that happy or he's extremely mad. Very few of us walk around like, you know what God thinks of me right now? He is joyfully bouncing through the halls of heaven thinking about me why is that because we don't set our mind on things above enough we stay down low psalm 16 says this in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore like who in here is described by family friends co-workers you know what that person there's just a fullness of joy there's like a wake of joy around that person that's jesus That's not something he made up along. That's just who he is. That's his nature. When God was describing himself in the Old Testament, maybe the first description sort of extended, Jesus, tell me who you are. Give me me just a short bio. Who are you? God is talking to Moses, and this is how God himself describes what he's like. He says, tell the people this, that I am the Lord, the Lord. I'm a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping the steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Pause right there. What a statement. What are you like, God? I'm gracious, I'm merciful, I'm kind, I've got the steadfast love. The Old Testament's Hesed love. It's covenant. You can't break it, love. And I'm here for you. In your week. When are you going to think about those things? That's what Paul's saying. Set your mind on those things. Where Christ is. What's Christ like? He's like that. How he describes himself. And then beyond that, the third thing we see is what's Christ doing? Currently, he is seated at the right hand of God. Why is that important? Because I think, I mean, we all know this. Nonverbal communication communicates as much as anything. What's Jesus doing right now? According to the scripture, he's seated at the right hand where the authority of God is. Other texts say he's praying for us also. But the translation is he, he's in complete control of everything. Everything. My kids are all in this Marvel kick right now. Roman's up at 6 a.m. Can I watch Endgame? No, you're not watching Endgame at 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning. But Marvel, great movie. If I was thinking this morning as I was like reading through my notes. If Jesus was in Marvel as a character, it'd been a much more boring movie, because Marvel and all those movies are all about like who's in control, who has the power. Let's link up. Is Thanos is it this person? Who's gonna win at the end? And it's this epic, long, drawn out, really long, in some of these Marvel cases really long story of who's gonna win. And I just picture like if it fit, spanned over and Jesus is there and he's seated on the throne, and he's like, "All right, Thanos, you got." Two minutes and 16 seconds, and then you're done. And Iron Man, I hate to tell you this, but you're done too. You're in complete control. Like, we are the most anxious generation that this universe has ever known. They're going to be studying us for decades. We are like a bunch of lab mice. Hey, give them phones early. Give them lots of sugar. Let them look at images of themselves perpetually till they're blue in the face. Put them into school. Turn up the heat on school and how important it is. Put them around all these things and let's stand back and see what happens. Well, we saw what happened. Everybody is full of angst and depression. Well, what do we do about it? We get the help. We need to get help. But also part of it is set your mind on things above all this. What is Jesus doing? He's seated. Is that a word? He's seating. Right now in this moment, not anxious, not worried, not befuddled, nothing. He's ready and willing to be there for you. You got to set your minds on that one who is seating at the right hand of God. He is seating at the right hand of God. This mic is driving me nuts. Let me just read again. Verse one, verse two. What does Paul tell us as a church? If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. What would Paul tell us? Seek the things that are above. Do not settle for those things that are below. But Paul has more to just tell us. Because here's what can happen in Christianity. It just happens as you start to get a mind full of great things, you start to sort of look down on others. The Bible calls it haughty eyes. So how do I keep from having pride and haughty eyes as I seek these grand, glorious, beautiful things that the Lord has prepared for us? How do I do that? Paul's next section is going to tell us exactly how the Christians stay rooted and humbled even as we seek the things that are above. Here's the next section. Is Where are you currently hiding? First question, what are you seeking? Second question, where are you hiding? And just here's the blanket statement. All humans are all on a path for both. Seeking out stuff, pleasure of life, and hiding from the hard things. And specifically hiding from God. Like I see it, there's this news story now Some lakes in Vegas, they're starting to dry up, and they're starting to find all these dead bodies that they think the mafia put there. It's like, wow, this is crazy. And my mind went back. I had a few lunch meetings with a guy at one of my former churches who said, I spent most of my life helping out the mafia. Just like picture the strongest, burliest, like meanest dude you'd never want to get a fight with. And I'm sitting across from him, and he's like the most sheepish, like embarrassed, full of shame. And I think he's the guy who did that, and he's hiding from God because he's ashamed of what he's done. And it doesn't just take something that extreme to make us hide from God. Like I already see it in my kids when they ask, when they want to ask for stuff, they come and they ask me, and they do this thing that drives me nuts. The younger two, especially, they when they want to ask for something, they know they're going to get probably a no. Is Dad? Can? Wee, it's like Gen- some Genesee would do. Right? Just all long, drawn out. <laughs> all, uh, I'm like, just ask the question, can we have dessert for breakfast? <laughs> no. And that's just another cute way of them hiding, rather than coming full force, here's who I am, here's what I want. It's like, I'm going to kind of hide. It's like Floyd Mayweather is the greatest boxer of all time. All he did was box by doing this. And he won, and he never lost. He was always just hiding from the punches. And humans walk in this world, and we're all just hiding from the punches because we know we deserve to be punched. You have two options when you think about hiding from God. You can hide from God, or what Paul's going to tell us here is you can be hidden by God. We all come in this world hiding from God, whether you're a mafia person who has serious stuff, or you're a little kid who's like, ah that little hint of shame inside of you. We're all the same. You can hide from God. Where does that hiding from God start? It starts in Genesis 3. It's the family tree we all come from. The family, what's your family of origin? I can go back to, oh, Mike and Maureen, and they were divorced, and da, da. I'll go further back. We all have the same family of origin, Genesis 3. You don't need to turn there, but Adam and Eve are our first mother and father, and God gives them a perfect world to live in. You can enjoy everything except just don't. Eat of the tree. And they go, well, I don't know. And they eat. And immediately, it says, their eyes were opened. And they immediately got fig leaves to cover up what was now known as nakedness. Prior to that, it was just how it is. That's called shame. This thing, what's this? It's shame. I must cover myself. And more than just covering themselves, it says they went and ran and hid from the presence of God. God. And if you read Genesis 3, that is a playbook for how humans deal with life over and over and over again. We walk into this world, we come into this world, and things about us are shameful, we're scared, so we cover and we hide ourselves and we run from the presence of God. That is the option. And you can couch it with whatever religion, well, we'll call it Islam. Islam is just running and hiding from God using good works as the thing to cover them feeling any other religion feeling in you do you taylor Swift you do you it's just covering yourself trying to hide what's really there because we know deep down we don't live up to what god wants from us that's a good feeling the solution we have is a bad solution what we need is what paul says here in verse 3 which is where we're going to end what does paul remind us about where christians get to hide where do we get to hide verse 3 for you have died again shorthand for christianity you've been You have died with Jesus, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let me read that again. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? If we're all the same, we're all covering, we're all hiding, the gospel is we must be hidden by God himself in Christ. We saw a picture of it. Adam and Eve had those fig leaves on, and God said, That is not sufficient. And he went and killed an innocent animal. And cover them with the skins of an innocent one who was killed on their behalf as a way to like, just so you know, that's what you're looking out for. And now Paul summarizes what Jesus accomplished in his life is he took you and he hid you. His death, you're hidden in. His resurrection, you're hidden in. All the bad can't find you. No judgment. No punishment. No guilt, no fear, no shame can find you. Why? Because you are hidden in Christ, and he already took the punishment. He already took the guilt. He already took the shed blood on your behalf. You are hidden in him. That is the gospel. No other system of thought offers you such a secure relationship with the divine, except for Christianity. You are hidden with Christ. Set your mind on those things. I the most beautiful, I mean, just choke me up a picture of this the other day. I get this Covenant Eyes report, which is if you, you know, want to have accountability with pornography on your screens or whatever. So I have, I'm the accountability partner for some kids from my former church. And for a while there it was like mostly Tinder. And I remember texting one time like, so it's like a, those of you know I'm over explaining. But Tinder, you get these pictures of like, this is probably a questionable image. So it was like all these things. I'm like, dude, I can't totally tell, but this seems like not the best way to be spending your time on your phone. He's like, all right. And then eventually, I don't see Tinder anymore. I see ESPN. I see all this stuff. I I can kind of make out a little bit. But like three days ago, I saw that. I'm like, oh my gosh. That is, it was like three in the morning. It's a screenshot taken at three in the morning. Here's what this person's looking at. And it was a picture of him on a stage with the man who baptized him, reading his testimony of what he was, what he is now, And what he hopes to be, it was him setting his mind on things above, reminding himself of his baptism, that I'm not that guy. I'm not the screwed up guy that keeps looking at the stuff over and over and over and over again. I'm that guy who's been buried with Jesus. I went under the water. I came up cleansed, washed, pure, completely new in Christ. And now I am a new creation and I am hidden in him. That is the gospel. That's what we need, Christians. And it gets better than that. Verse 4 says this. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, just so you know, you will appear with him in glory. And in that moment, realize, any amount of time you spend in the next seven days setting your mind on things above, things of God, when Christ appears, you will appear with him in glory. And you will not think for a second that you wasted an ounce of time as you thought and sought and search for, and created opinions on the things of God, you will not have wasted a second. Here's what you will know. Just same thing out. Like, I did not do it justice on what it's going to be like when Christ, who is my life, appears and takes me with him to live forever. Amen? Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. Let's pray together, Christians. Father, thank you for this reminder of how we navigate life We don't have to be the smartest person. We don't have to be the most intentional person. We don't have to have all the answers to all the questions. We simply have to take Paul's encouragement, Paul's reminder, and spend our time setting our mind on things above, seeking the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So God, I just pray for us as a church family. I pray very specifically for us as we walk out of here, as we walk into a new week, as we walk into home lives with a variety of issues, If we walk into jobs with a whole set of issues. We walk into relationships, some easy, some very difficult. God, we walk back into earthly things, the things that are below. We cannot escape from the life that you've placed us in and called us to. However, we can stop and just remind ourselves of the things that are above so i pray for a few moments this week where we each get an opportunity to put this text into action and to stop and to seek the things that are above and to look at your face and to dwell on heaven and to remind ourselves that you are seated on the throne and all this other stuff is true and real but you are more true and you are more real than anything i experience here so father we love you it's in jesus name we pray amen